Hey all, welcome to a dram of diving. Uh, really appreciate you guys coming out. I know we've had a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, there's been a lot of things going down, but uh, we are back. Uh, we're trying to figure out the exact schedule we're gonna go on to, uh, but we are back doing our thing and uh, the season's kind of winding down a little bit for us where we are uh, getting into some more fall technical diving type stuff, uh, but there's only a few weeks left, so things are starting to slow down. Uh, lots of topics have been hitting the internets lately, and we are going to start chatting about those. We got some guests on with us. Uh, I know the question's going to come up. I'm going to break into the Jefferson's Ocean. Uh, I bought one of these bottles from my friends, and they had a rough night with it, so I figured I should drink to him. Um, so I'm going to pour one out there and we are going to have our guests come on in and chat with us about the level of training instructors should potentially have, uh, a, when they are teaching different areas, uh, feel free to throw comments up in the chat and we will, or, uh, comments up and we'll put them into our chat so we can discuss them. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring our guests in and have them introduce yourselves. Uh, Jim, you're in my upper right-hand corner. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, sir? Great. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Jim Gunderson. I am a um, now a course director trainer uh, and I'm currently the um, head of training for Divers Alert Network for Dan, where I'm part of the risk mitigation team. And my primary role is all the first aid programs that we have that Dan offers. Prior to that, I was at NAWI headquarters as a training manager, and there I sat um, uh, on one of the three seats that now he has at the RSTC level and I've been diving since um, 1986. So I've been doing this a day or two. Nice. Beautiful. All right, go ahead, Roger. How about you? Hi. How's everybody doing? Uh, Roger Williams. I'm a primarily technical and cave instructor. Uh, been teaching for 15 years, so not quite as long as Jim. Uh, <laughs> Before I kind of engaged full time in this technical cave instruction, I was actually working as an aquarium DSO in New York. But now I live down in Mexico where I teach and cave diving most of the time, but as a full time, uh, as a full time gig at our little cave diving bed and breakfast down here. Nice. Um, still need to find a way to get down there. Um, that is an absolute, I want to come visit you guys real bad. So we'll figure that event out eventually. Uh, so essentially the idea here is, uh, some things have been floating around and, and scuba is an interesting area of we're, we're trained educators, but not to the level of necessarily overall arching, uh, 
collegiate and high school teachers, elementary schools. We don't have masters in education as a as a general rule of thumb. It's not a requirement to to get there. Um, and to to look at these different areas and and some discussions have happened. And um, I wanted to have the conversation because whenever I have taught and do teach an instructor development course. Uh, I like to bring up the idea and I say, listen, um, and I've said this on the show before, so it's, it's nothing new when I say it in my IDCs and I say, hey, how many of you are going to want to teach deep, the deep course? Oh, I'm going to I'm going to qualify to teach deep. OK. Um, have any of you even seen your computer in Deco ever? Uh, no. Oh, OK, so, so you've never seen your computer in Deco. And if if pardon the pun, shit hits the, not even the pun, pardon the language, if shit hits the fan, you're going to be in Deco, but you've never seen your computer in Deco. Uh, might we want to know what that looks like and what that means? And the, it, it normally creates a head scratching in a conversation. That's the point of it. And that's kind of the the vein we went off on. And um, Roger happened to stir the pot one day and uh, we had the nice conversation. So um, the idea of Roger, I just kind of want your opinion or, or where you're going with um, the commentary we had previously of, you know, not even just what they should have the continuing education aspect. So can you give us just a couple of talking points, a couple of words about kind of where we, what we had discussed previously? Well, when you say um, I stirred the pot, it was so <laughs> unintentional as it frequently is, as, as I get accused of stirring any sort of <laughs> Uh, what I'd done was I'd written a blog post about how I'm surprised at the number of diving professionals that, just as you say, have never even seen their computer in Deco. They don't really understand what decompression means beyond at the recreational level, at the recreational instructor level, typically beyond avoid your no decompression limits. No decompression limits are this kind of voodoo area that you just, you need to stay away from. And as long as you stay away from them, you'll be okay. But what that frequently leads to uh, in my experience and you know, some of the things that I've seen is people wind up looking at their dive computer and they say, there are no decompression limit says zero now. And they'll panic and they'll swim as fast as they can 20 feet up in the water, mm -hmm. which is the exact wrong <laughs> thing to do in that moment because they're fleeing from this kind of scary number on their wrist without really understanding what that number means, what it represents. And I mean, we all know, like you're not in immediate danger just because you've exceeded your no decompression limits. Otherwise, technical divers would just be bursting into balls of flames left and right all over the planet. That's not how decompression stress works on the body. So what I was suggesting and got quite a bit of blowback from was if dive professionals are trained up to at least the decompression level, whichever agency you want to, you know, advanced nitrox, deco or tech one or, you know, whichever agency's curriculum, if dive professionals are exposed to this, they're in a much better position to be able to say, assist somebody who went a little too deep or stayed a little too long and now looks up at them with the big wide eyes of, I don't know what to do next, with the assurance of a dive professional saying, it's okay, I do. We're just going to slowly ascend. We're gonna stay at our, our safety stop for a little bit longer and then safely get back on the boat. And then we can talk about what happened or why that happened later. But I can bring you safely to the surface because they have a greater understanding of 
kind of decompression physiology and decompression stress. A lot of people didn't really like uh, that suggestion. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And that's, um, it, it leads into a lot of different conversations and, and I'm gonna go with for you in a minute there, Jim, but um, I, I like to have people, oh, you're a tech diver. I'm like, yeah, um, where does that start? Where does that, that gray area stuff? Cause that's that blowback that you were talking about, Raj. Like, all right, so they're like, well, well, I don't know. I'm like, oh, so you, there's not, I'm like, let me put this to, this way to you. I can do a decompression dive and have less of an obligated stop than you have for your safety stop. So you actually have to do more of a stop than I have to do. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? I'm like, I could have one minute of deco at 20 feet and you could have three minutes of, I'm not saying that I'm not gonna stay three to five minutes. I'm just saying that that scary computer NDL thing and I don't, I hate that term NDL. I like no stop limits personally. I mean, I know it's, it's the vernacular of the, of the of overall and it's understood and, and that, but I think no stop limits is a good way to kind of, to use that verbiage um, preferably. But um, I use that and it creates some sort of a head scratch that, oh, I didn't even think about what that meant. I don't know what those things mean. And that's kind of supporting what you're saying there, Roger. Jim, your thoughts on, I mean, I know this is the first time kind of really getting hit with this, but uh, what's your thoughts on this? So I, you know, I, I like where you're kind of going with this, but I, I'm also going to throw in something else here that it's not just limited to deep diving. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you a little story here. I was, uh, when I just moved down to Florida to take the position at Nowy, I was invited a couple weeks after I had started to go down to the Keys and go dive a very famous wreck. I won't mention which one and I won't mention the outfit that I was with. Getting ready you know, we've done our, done our final checks. We're getting ready to jump off the boat down and do this wreck. And the dive master, he's, you know, checking my gas, making sure it's on. And he looks down not my, and my regulator was still configured for a dry suit. So I had my dry suit whip hanging down. And the dive master looks down and says, you forgot to hook up your BC. Just as he was looking at my BC and sees that it's connected. And he says, what is that for? <laughs> and I said, and I said half jokingly that, oh, that's a spare BC whip just in case my buddies go sideways. I said, oh, that's a great idea. And I'm, as I'm busting my gut, jumping off the end of the boat, my mask flooded, my rigs, I spit my rig out because I was laughing so hard. This tells me that this gentleman had had no exposure to cold water diving at all, mm -hmm. at all. Didn't, didn't even know what it was. And he's the dive master on the boat. Mm-hmm. So I have to I have to wonder when people are beginning in this professional level, whether it's dive master, assistant instructor, instructor, or higher, what is their overall experience? And it, to me, it's got to be very diverse. Mm -hmm. So you could have these more intelligent conversations about the equipment, about the the aspects of a of any given dive, whether it's warm water, cold water, deep, shallow, currents what flora fauna you're going to be they need to have a breadth of of knowledge whether that's through a class or ideally a class and experience mm -hmm. and i think that's key in 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 becoming a di a really uh, diversified and competent dive professional interesting so um i'm going to grab one of the comments that came off to the side here it's a pretty long so i'm not going to put it up and i'm going to kind of uh paraphrase it a little bit but uh essentially it's suggesting instructors should recertify every one to two years um, instead of paying a fee. Now, that becomes that that becomes a little bit complicated uh, to, to recertify and use that terminology. But but if you look at a lot of other professions that that uh, 
that deal with continuing education, you look at C continuing education credits, um, continuing medical uh, CME, CMEs, CMUs, uh, all of those sorts of things, and actually creating uh, a little bit more of a structure. Now, now we're a self-regulating agency, and we and we like to think that um, or, or or you know world the this industry rather. Uh, we're self-regulating and we'd hope that people do continuing education and, and I advocate for continuing education all the time. And I say, go take this, go find out what they're doing. You really need like one of my favorite ones. I, I think Roger, you're, you're in me, with me on this is human factors with the, the Gareth Locke stuff. I'm like, you need to, if you want to take a tech class, if you want to take a professional level class with me, this stuff is really golden. Please read this. Please look at that. Um, I think it's, I think it's a, a good, good educational tool there. Uh, and just continuing education and experiencing other instructors, co-teaching with somebody and seeing all these different things, uh, the, I think recertifies a little bit of a challenge because you're telling someone they need to go back through everything again. And we see that with people who have been out of out for a long period of time. Also, we say, oh, you need to go redo everything. And they go, oh, my God, how could you tell me I need to redo everything? And it's like, well, OK, continuing education credits is a little bit different. And, and other industries have have that in place. Uh, what do you think about that, Raj? I think there's a value not only in uh, the idea of stressing continuing education insofar as uh, continual professional development. That is you know, something like Garrett's excellent class, something like, uh, I don't know, nothing, honestly. Nothing well, I'm going to dovetail different. here. Um, Butch Hendricks and uh, Andrea Zathra, the Ferris through Lifeguard Systems offers a professional dive rescue class that is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It will take your rest. It will take your dive rescue to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, that's just it. Is the idea of continuing education insofar mm -hmm. as improving on your professional skills, but I think there is also a value in remembering what it's like to be a student mm -hmm. because Absolutely. while we're a self-regulating agency, perhaps because we're a self-regulating agency, there's kind of this misconception that once somebody reaches, you know, the instructor, trainer, 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 trainer level, you know, Jim, looking at you, <laughs> uh, you know, that's it. You've won. Like you've won at scuba and there's mm -hmm. nothing more for you to know. And now you're second only to, you know, God and the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> But to try and remember what it's like to be a student and have your ass handed to you from time to time, honestly, exactly. you're a better instructor. It's you empathize better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why I mentioned that one course in particular through Lifeguard Systems, because this is a course that will challenge even the most seasoned diver. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and if you get the right people around, you, we can challenge each other, you know, well, like, absolutely. Hey, let's go do some work. Let's, let's go work these things out. Absolutely. You know, and, and I run workshops all over in, in, in my position, I've been all over the world running workshops. And to this day, I still pick up little tidbits from the workshop. Mm -hmm. Anybody that, that reaches that pinnacle and thinks they are the authority they're not the one you want because you want that that hunger to learn and pick up those little tools mm -hmm. and tricks that other people have learned and that you can and you can learn from and pass on as well. Absolutely. Whether it's diving or first aid or underwater tiddlywinks, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, someone, yeah, you someone is always going to have something a little different and a little better for a particular set of circumstances than you did. 
and that's okay. Yeah, and you can pick up a lot. I mean, I pick up a lot. I, I teach a foundations course where you do a lot of video stuff, and we go back and we look at video later on. And and uh, even then, like every once in a while, we go be going through the video with the students, and I go, "What the hell is that doing there on me? Like, why is that like that? Like, did something and like a clip slipped or something that I didn't realize? You go, oh, geez, like I need to fix that right away. And you see that that feedback. Um, I'm an advanced nitrox deco procedures instructor trainer, and I took Mark Powell's deco class twice. And people are like, "Why are you? What? What are you? Why are you doing that?" I'm like, "Cause like, cause I could go back through theory, and then I'm sure I missed something the first three times, and four times, and seven times I've taught it. Like, I I just need to to see that, and it's good to go through those things. One of the Absolutely. things uh, that you said uh, just before talking about perhaps using something like co-teaching as a potential. You know, development credit. I mm -hmm. love co-teaching. I love having people along in my classes, uh, co-teaching along with me, because again, Jim, just like you were just saying, it's everybody's got a little bit of a different presentation. Everybody can, they approach things from slightly different angles. Mm -hmm. And I mean, as we all know, like every damn near every single student learns a little bit differently. And every once in a while, when you have one of those students, it's like, I just, I've, I've used every trick I know to try and present this information to this person. And there's just something not clicking. Well, maybe if I'm co-teaching that day and somebody else just words it just a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you see the light bulb go off in this person's head and you're like, okay, great. Now that's something I need to file away that mm -hmm. I can sort of happily plagiarize from one of my fellow instructors. And that tool may be great for working with a particular student or a class, but it won't work well for the next class. And that's okay yeah. Yeah. because two more classes down the road, that will come back into play. And you're going to bring that tool out of the toolbox. Absolutely. So Tom brings up a good question, um, which we kind of already talked about. Uh, what do you do about, what do we do about the deep course in particular? That's the example we were using previously. If we are not going to require instructors to have a course one up from what they're teaching. Uh, so if we're saying that we're not going to standardize that, how how do we regulate that uh, or, or make that happen? Do uh, you guys want to tackle that first? I think regulates a, perhaps too strong a word. Um, yeah. But in terms of how do how do we self-regulate? How do we make sure that how do we hope that shops would try to ensure that the people they're sending out on deep classes or on deep dives are being watched over by somebody who's again kind of one up? Mm -hmm. I think that goes back to again, Jim, what you were just saying is that experience variety. Like if I, let's say I'm a dive master and I've gone to this one little shipwreck that it's uh, 110 feet. And that's kind of the, the deepest I went when I first moved to this little island. And that's our deep dive. Now, even if I've done that a dozen times, 50 times, 100 times, that's still a very limited experience. I only know what to expect at 110 feet on this particular wreck. You didn't do 25 dives. You did one dive 25 times. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and that is, it, you know, by the, by the technical definition, that is 25 dives. However, right. what experience have you gained? Right. Exactly. Oh, Sorry to really cut you off, Roger. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Versus 
you know, say I'm that same dive master, but I've got a little bit of experience in the Great Lakes. I've got a little bit of experience in the St. Lawrence. Maybe I've got some experience in the Pacific Northwest. You know, you've seen the way that water moves differently in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Now I've got comparison and contrasting happening in my head. So yeah, now it's not one dive 25 times anymore. And I, as a dive master, am probably better equipped to deal with people who may respond differently to that environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We've seen that a lot recently. I've been traveling a lot between New Jersey and, and we've got a lot of people that are doing offshore New Jersey stuff, come up doing St. Lawrence and it's going back and forth, back and forth. And we're diving with each other and they come up and they're like, Oh, Oh my God. The, 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 some of them come up, Oh my God, the current is just crazy. And you're like, I, what, no, no. I mean, you hold on a line, your knuckles are white, but it, it's okay. And then you go down there and you're like, Oh, the, the ocean is, is kind of crazy. And they're like, it's two to three footers. What are you talking about? Why are you puking on the side of the boat? Like we're used to sixes. And you're like, no, but it's just that, that weird different, like, yeah, it's all Northeast diving, but it's very, very different in those different places and, and causes um, some issues. And it's, and that's hard to go ahead. And how, how do you tell someone, how do you even standard, I don't even know, standardized, regulated, all those are bad words for it. But like, how do you verify their experience of going, you need hundred dives, you need 200 dives, you need 50 dives. Well, they can do one dive. And I'll tell, and I've told people this many times when I started out, it was, we were talking about this the other night with a, a great type podcast group. And it was like, I, when I started, I did literally 95 dives in the exact same spot to 45 feet, 50 feet. And I became an instructor off of probably four total different dives. And I was an instructor going off, making people, I can send you up to the St. Lawrence. Sure. Go right ahead. Go to New Jersey and dive. I could do that. Like that's mm-hmm. scary when I started. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've changed how I do things now, but <laughs> significantly, but that, that was right. what I could do. So, when, uh, kind so, of earliest in my dive career, I was diving in the Northeast off New York, New Jersey boats. Uh, then I moved out to Hawaii and I was going to be a full-time instructor out in Hawaii. And one of the first questions I asked everybody is like, okay, so to predict water conditions, what do you need to know? Cause you know, in New York, New Jersey, you need to know which way is the wind blowing? How strong is it blowing? And like, is there a storm within a thousand miles? <laughs> and with that information, you're, you're pretty good. No joke in Hawaii. They were like, well, you need to know what phase the moon is in and which direction the surf is coming from. Are you fucking with me? <laughs> yep. moon? Who cares oh, about no, that's moon? exactly right. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> right. A couple of months. Like, yeah, you need to know all of that stuff. Like you wake mm-hmm. up in the morning and you're checking the surf report and you're checking Noah's page. Like there's just a lot going into it. And I was really grateful that I had a bunch of people help and me. And that varies from site to site on the same island. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was a research yeah. diver in on the big island for three years with the university. And you know, depending on where we were, we had, I mean, tide, tide charts and, and, and moon phases was an absolute necessity. And there are others, it didn't matter. Unless it was a major storm, it really didn't matter. Same thing in the Northwest, in the Pacific Northwest. I taught there for, for a number of years. And some areas, I don't care how big the tide swing was, no to minimal current. Other areas, <laughs> if you don't dive it at the moon's apogee on a half moon, at this particular time frame or this particular time frame, you're not doing that dive. I don't yeah. care how experienced you are. It ain't happening. Yeah. That happened so to me recently. So I, uh, 
I was helping schedule the uh, instructor trainer workshop for SDI. And I was like, all right, we'll just go at this time. And they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, what do you mean? No, we're not. Like, it's just like, we just picked the time of the day. It's a short eye. What are you talking about? We just go. They're like, right. no, here's the here's the tide table. And I was like, oh, didn't even. It's a short eye. Like, I didn't even think it's a <laughs> park. It's in. Okay. Yeah, you're right. And it's like, it governs everything for that okay. schedule now. It governs everything. It's just yep. crazy. But now this gets back to, I mean, the sort of the, the strict topic, I suppose, of the podcast of, what kind of certifications or qualifications, like where should an instructor be? Yeah. Well, I was, you know, technical instructor in the Northeast, diving off New York, New Jersey, wreck boats, you know, ostensibly big fancy pants diving. Well, now I'm going to Hawaii and I'm just teaching kind of recreational level stuff. Um, and I wasn't prepared when I first landed because my experience, like I'd never dived in Hawaii. I had no idea what to expect. Yeah, sure, it's all well and good to just bob around at 30 feet on a reef and watch green turtles, but to be responsible for people in that same water, it took me a little bit to get to where I was comfortable with that idea. You know, despite all the fancy pants credentials, I needed some, some lead up. I needed some professional development before I was really capable of doing any of that as soon as I landed, right? Because I was not going to be the sort of person who's, you know, puffs my chest out. I know everybody just move over. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yep. Because yep. that's ridiculous. Yeah. Because you got downwellings and upwellings and currents that will take oh, you all over the place. That, I mean, we drop down a line to a rack and swim around on it. You can get blown off it, but you're not really going to get a downwelling or upwelling on those walls like that. And that's all mm -hmm. continuing education type stuff. Um, my fear to get back to what Tom was saying uh, is, from being in the education system, from being in the high schools, from being in the medical field previously um, for years, watching the continuing education, a lot of it is because it is standardized, because it is required, people don't actually put as much effort into it. And it almost is worse than creating a culture of, of this self-regulation of, hey, we should, we should all do better and you're going to get some resistance, but creating that conversation, conversations like this, creating those conversations and getting it out there going, hey, we should have that continuing education. Right now we're affecting 20 some odd people and hopefully they're going to get continuing education. But a lot of them probably are already down that path. Um, I saw uh, James Mott does like a trim and buoyancy clinic for for instructors. And that's that's tough to admit that you're an instructor and you need to go and do a clinic or you want to go and do a clinic. And I think most of the people that do, are doing that sort of thing, a lot of times will actually have pretty good buoyancy and trim. And then every once in a while, you're going to get somebody that really, truly needs the help that's going to have that dawn on them. Uh, but to get back to Tom's to Tom's kind of question is, it, if we require things, it, it becomes, becomes a challenge for it to stay meaningful. And that's what I've seen from education and and, uh, and me the medical field. Jim, your thoughts on that? I'm going to pop oh, yeah. to you. The other aspect and going, yeah, going, jumping back onto what Tom's comment was, um, a lot of this comes down to what does the training agency want to regulate and want to make a standard? And most of the training agencies are in it for, to make money. And we get that. We get that. And if you start upping these standards, so it's, it's, it's fine balance between upping the standard and making the money. And where do you find that sweet spot? And is, are the, are the training agencies willing to say for this particular course curriculum, whatever it happens to be, it could be deep, 
It could be spearfishing. It could be underwater balsa wood welding. Don't care. What are you? What are the? Are we going to have this 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 next level of criteria for you to be able to teach that particular course? And to get all the agencies at the RSTC level to agree on that, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and most of the agency standards they meet. And, and in most cases, exceed those RSTC levels because they can't. And that's OK. That's great. And I, and I, I applaud that when they exceed that. But to, to make it a standard that you have to have this certification to teach this class, that's going to be an agency by agency um, decision, whether it's, you know, ABC agency. It, it doesn't also, matter. That's, that's where it's going to come down from. I certainly expect that when you start talking about how can you write standards that kind of require, what am I trying to say? Setting standards for something like an instructor to be able to teach a level down, agency to agency, the nomenclature is very different. Uh -huh. And I mean, just like we were just talking about, environments are very, very different as well. I'm gonna sound, I think, a little bit like an agency apologist here when I say that I understand the idea of minimum standards being written the way they are because the vast majority of agencies say, okay, look, here's the minimum. We beg you to go beyond this. Mm -hmm. You are allowed to and should go beyond this. And most agencies do. There are some that don't, that you will right. teach this standard and that's it. Period. End of discussion. Fortunately, it still drops back to instructors who Correct. sometimes look at these minimum standards and say, okay, yeah, you swam for 50 feet without your mask. Okay, we're done with that. We never need to think about it again. Whereas like, well, maybe that was an important component of something else and that should be worked. That should more, be focused on a little More bit. frequently, yep. Yeah, so using minimum standards as just a checklist is kind of useless versus using minimum standards as, okay, this is at least how far we have to get. Let's go further than that. Right. And that's minimum standards. You know, if you write a list of all the things you're supposed to do and you don't do them dead on, then you're in violation. If it gives you a general list of standards and you say, OK, I've met these and I would like to exceed them, then it makes it so that it gives you more wiggle room. Plus, mm -hmm. I mean, as much as the dry suit thing was funny, like. If I'm going through certain courses, I'm not going to necessarily have to brief people on how to use a dry suit if we're going to be in, you know, um, in yeah, in the keys necessarily not as much. For us, it's like you want to you wear a wet a wetsuit like that. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I guess you can. Like that's kind of weird, but all right, whatever. And I understand that point, but where I'm going with this is it's more that global knowledge mm -hmm. of this industry. You, right. you know, you, I may do my entire career down in the Keys. Great, fine, mm -hmm. wonderful, have a great time. Nothing wrong with that. But I need to be aware that there is other aspects outside of warm water, great visibility, low current to moderate current diving, because mm -hmm. there's a lot more out there than just that. Yes. And you're going to see configurations. And you know what? That different that configuration is not wrong. It's right for that particular diver. And that's okay. Yeah, but, and we but saw we're that, not aware of it at all. We just had um, when I was running the shop full time, we had a um, uh, dive master come down from Alaska. His thought of cold water is completely different than our thought of cold mm -hmm. water, and mm -hmm. like how he did it. And I'm like, 
tell me about it. Like that that's not an area where I think I was, but you would definitely need some sort of orientation, some sort of continuing education, some sort of something like Roger went through going to Hawaii of being like, all right, what is up with Alaska? Like, how do I teach here? Like, this is weird. Um, you definitely need that. Uh, Brock has a comment. Um, and essentially, I'm going to give you the answer before I even put up there. It's the definition of what kind of makes a great, great instructor, Brock. Um, I have heard many top tier instructors talk about taking courses with others, other top tier instructors, but I rarely hear about hear the same from mid tier instructors. Um, that's that's the idea, right? These these people who are on the quest, it's learning to learn. It's learning for the sake of learning. They just want to absorb all this information. They just want to move forward, and and they are a um, a, a student of their craft. They they just want to be better at it. Um, I mean, one hundred percent. I'd say almost every single person I've had on this show, if they're an instructor, I would like to take a course with them, or at least co-teach with them, or learn something from them. And that's why I have them on the show. Um, but uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Jim, we'll start with you since I've been with Roger a couple of times. Uh, no, no worries. So this mindset is not limited to just diving. Mm -hmm. So in when I when I got my first degree and then when I was paying for part of my second degree, I, I made a living playing instruments, specifically trumpet, French horn, those types of things. And as I was climbing the ranks professionally in in, in the music industry, the mid-tier level musicians were all cutthroat trying to figure out how to, to angle somebody else out and get the get this gig or that gig over somebody else. When you reach the top tiers, the you know the the absolute superstars in, in that industry, I found them to be every single one of them to be incredibly helpful, supportive, that mentor role. And I, I see a lot of the same thing in the scuba industry as well. So it's not just limited to, to diving. And it's that mindset we've all heard. I believe it's the it's the cunning or kerning Derner effect, something like that, where you have this level of knowledge, and then it drops down as you gain experience. Like, oh, I didn't know as much as I thought I did, and then it picks back up again. And that middle section is where these people, these mid level, these mid tier instructors are at. That they think they know everything, but they don't know what they don't know, and they haven't experienced what they haven't experienced. Mm -hmm. And so we get some. The, the the dynamic here is partially ego saying, yes, I'm the one that knows all this when in reality they're not. And it takes some experience and time and exposure to for them to have that light bulb go on and go, oh, I don't know everything. I'm not all that in a bag of chips. So I have to, I need to do something to better myself. And so you get these mid-tier instructors. They're not bad instructors. I'm not saying that at all, but they just don't have the knowledge and experience. Yep. Roger, what are your thoughts? Um, I absolutely agree kind of with, uh, I think the psychology, uh, Jim, as you laid it out, that it's, it's a bit of ego. It's a bit of insecurity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I frequently recommend to students that they take courses with other instructors. Uh, I do not consider myself a top tier instructor. I, I work really, really hard to be good at what I do. And I really love working hard to try and be good at doing what I do. Uh, but I'm still, I'm, I consider myself as somebody who is still learning as well. And as I'm still learning, anytime I work with students, I see, you know, again, every student learns a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So there are times that as I'm talking with people and they say, I'm, I'm thinking about taking this or this or this class, 
can I come back down here and take that with you? And I always say, I would love to teach you. And obviously I'd love to have you back down here. Uh, but you know, you're going to this area of the country, you know, you have an instructor right there that mm -hmm. maybe you'd be able to learn really, really well from. And that I think that you'd vibe really well with and, and like you'd hit it off and you'd learn a lot from the way they teach the class, you know, because I'm not just going to refer people to somebody that I've heard their name somewhere because they're, mm -hmm. they're a fancy instructor. It's I'm referring people to mm -hmm. instructors that I've seen work and that I admire how they work. Yeah. Um, you know, which is again, not to say that, you know, I, I don't feel capable of teaching you the class. It's just, there are different ways to learn and they think about things a little bit differently or this or this or this or this but it does take a certain amount of humility for you know anybody to admit i don't know everything and again this goes back to in scuba this idea of i have all the fancy credentials which means i win at diving so i'm the dive god which is one of the things that frustrates me the most when you see going back to earlier what uh, we were talking about you know, these deep diving instructors, these deep diving recreational instructors who do behave as though they know absolutely everything when they don't. And it's not a personal fault. It's not that they're you know, bad human beings. It's just they lack exposure to something. But to admit I lack exposure to something is a threat to the ego. And when you're supposed to be in charge of, you know, to sound slightly melodramatic, people's lives, but, you know, you're watching over yeah. a boatload of people. To suggest to these people, I might not know something. I don't know. I wonder if people think that they're making their own feet out of clay at that point. Right. When it's not really true. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell back on that. Um, I, I'll give a couple a couple examples. I have, a, I have a young man that I took from beginning all the way through Dive Master. He said, I want to do my instructor now. And I said, great, but I'm going to send you over to so-and-so. Because I've taken you as far as I want to take you. I want to expose you to other methods of teaching, other tricks, mm -hmm. other tips, other tools. And when I was coming up through the ranks, I did my dive master with one instructor, my instructor with a second, my instructor trainer with a third, and my course director with a fourth on purpose because I wanted to see different techniques and different experiences because that's how we grow. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's just it. And one of the prime reasons why I will frequently tell students like, hey, why don't you go and train with so-and-so? Because like, I don't want to make carbon copies of myself. Uh -huh. I know how I think about things. I know how I train things. And I, I mean, it, I like the way that I dive and I like the way that I teach, but there are other ways. Uh -huh. And for somebody to lack exposure to other ways, again, it just, it, bookends them into this little spot where they're only exposed to a certain way of thinking about things or a certain way of problem solving. And then they're going to go off into the world and people are going to say, well, why do you do that? And the only answer they might have is, well, well Roger told me that's, that's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that is a, when I teach the tactical stuff, uh, I basically tell them that they are not going to get away with because that's the way I was told to do it. They better have a reason for it. And if mm -hmm. it's because someone told me to do it that way, it's wrong. And they better figure out the reason why. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty strict on that. Uh, I want to throw up while we're talking. I'm going to throw up the Dunning-Kruger effect uh, so that people can uh, see that. Uh, exactly. It's a little bit small. Um, that's the one. That, and that goes back to it's talk, talked a lot about in uh, Gareth Locke's stuff. 
um, there. So we, we have that conversation a lot. Uh, so where does this bring us? I'm going to stop sharing this one. Uh, where does this bring us on? I think deep is the one that really kind of, it's that break, right? You're saying you can go to 130, you can go right to the no decompression limits or the no stop limits, and you can, you're going to teach right on this borderline, and you don't need any more experience than really 25 dives at that at a at a depth that's considered deep. Uh, is there a way to change the industry to make it? to potentially make it better based off of the conversations we had or to, to, to modify that. Do you guys feel there is a way? It's a challenging one. <laughs> it is a challenging one. Yeah. You know, sadly it will take, it will take a major significant event to make that happen industry wide. Mm -hmm. We're all familiar with the, with the current major lawsuit that's going on in Montana right now. Mm hmm that will have industry impacting consequences. And unfortunately, it, it'll, it will take a tragedy um, to bring about a, a, an industry level change. Where we can start is as instructors is start building that into what we're doing is that I personally want to have this knowledge to be able to teach this course that I know I need to have a little better knowledge or a little and a little more experience. That's where it starts, but that's the slow roll. Mm -hmm. then, you know, that then bleeds up eventually, hopefully to the, to the, to the um, training agency level and then eventually to the RSTC level, but that's the slow path. So. Yeah. That's... Unfortunately, I, the, the stumbling block to what you bring up is at the instructor level, people wanting to be able to kind of set limits and standards and ideals mm -hmm. for themselves where they say, okay, I'm teaching to this level, which means I want to know this much. The stumbling block is, you know, cutting back to Dunn and Kruger. They don't know that this exists at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, you don't know what you don't know. And when you don't know what you don't know, you can't really make plans for being able to exceed your own expectations or limits or right. whatever it is you're going to set for yourself. You know, the, the other aspect in here is, you know, instructors want to make money, so they don't want to turn that student away. Right. Because mm -hmm. that's, that's a paycheck for them. You know, that's, that's a car payment. That's a house payment. That's you know, your next grocery shopping trip. Or to be slightly more cynical about it, it's just you show up at the shop that morning and your name is on the board. <laughs> right. X and X class. Yep. And yeah. how do you turn that away and 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 save face? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, a lot of it's a challenge, right? So I, I do mm -hmm. it a lot with um, uh, Tim Andrew comment in here, but I do I do it often with Tim, where we have public safety drivers that come to me, and I'm a civilian, so I don't know anything clearly. Um, and I go, yeah, I might not know anything, but you know, I know somebody that kind of knows some stuff. Why don't you just go at least talk to him or kind of see what he does? And then see how that might work with your uh, with your public safety team. And we have people that just come back with head spinning because they even take an online class with Tim and they go, oh, what in the what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you don't know what you don't know. They're doing a whole lot more than even you saw. You might want to kind of get some more continuing education. So I'll, I'll use things like that to kind of just softly prompt like, oh, just go and talk to that person and, and see what's going on to try and scratch that 
that you don't know what you don't know out of the way and then have them maybe have that light bulb moment of, oh, wow, maybe I should know this. Yeah. Uh, I've used that technique with, with people to make it a little safer, safer space for them to understand that they need to do a little bit more. Exactly. And that's one of our big issues is we get people that attack and or feel attacked when you're going, you need to do this better. You need to change this. You need to, we talk about with neutral buoyancy all the time, or you need to stop, our, you know, stop this because you're doing it wrong. And it's like, no, 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 back it up. Like, I don't teach that way personally, but let me give you, let's try, how would you try this? I'm going to give you this tool. Go try that. See how that works for you. Just, mm -hmm. just here's a nudge. Here's a nudge. Try it. And then if that starts to click, it's safe for them to try it. They go, okay, fine. I'll try it. And then it starts to, if, if it truly is something that works better for them, they start going, oh, now I'm in control of this. I would like to do more of that here. Try this continuing education. How'd that work for you? I actually pretty much enjoyed that. Okay. Let's try a little bit more. Um, and that's kind of how I've, I mean, it's little, little changes, but those little changes that if all of us individually can make it, it makes a big change going further, um, uh, without having to create some sort of a crazy regulation. Right. As you've said, the you know, people come in for public safety diving. Mm -hmm. Say, okay, look, I'm going to go, sh I'm going to give you this name, call this number, go talk to them. At that point, it's not you saying, no, you're not prepared to do it because, mm -hmm. When you frame it like that, yeah, people do get defensive or their their egos get bruised. But when you say, okay, if this is something that you're interested in, here's a resource, mm -hmm. then they can go out and discover for themselves like what's really entailed in that. Yeah. Um, what I like to, you know, one of my kind of meanest tricks as an instructor when people first sign up for a class, especially when people come in, again, chess, chess really big, and I'm gonna ace this. I'm like, okay. Cool. Let's go down. We're going to go and do just a, a relatively easy dive and just hit them with like a, a little failure cascade. It <laughs> just takes them a little further than they can manage. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you get to the one, to the surface again, you like, okay, so what went wrong? And of the three of us in the team, who didn't make it out? <laughs> that tends to humble people very, very quickly. And then they're like, okay, now they're going to be a little more receptive to the mm -hmm. things that you've that you're trying to train them for, that you've been hired to train them for. Because you know, they've now encountered some shit they didn't know. Like, I, I didn't know that could happen. Like, well, <laughs> exactly. now let's work on how to fix it. You know, one of, the, one of the best things I ever did, and going back to how can we make this happen in the industry, one of the best presentations I ever went to at DEMA was put on by Jeff Hansler. And it wasn't really a presentation, it was more of a discussion on teaching techniques and tips. And it was, an, it was kind of a prompted discussion, much like this is, we're going to explore this avenue and that avenue and go down this rabbit trail and input from everybody that was in the, in the seminar. And it was absolutely fantastic. I came up with a whole new toolbox. It was absolutely yeah. fantastic. I would love to see these level of, of presentations at every single dive show so the professionals can get together regardless of what agency they're from. Right. Throw all well, the ABCs in one room. Yeah. And it's tough. We, we don't discuss, and this is off yeah. on tangent, we don't discuss Maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, readily. And we don't and understand, we right. don't talk about Bloom's taxonomy enough. Um, and I try to talk about that as much as I possibly can, because bringing that, that educational component in, because we are educators, um, bringing that in uh, is, is huge. But that also goes into the, the if you look at um, 
Bloom's taxonomy, in order to be able to do those higher level things, you have to have a larger scope of education or larger right. knowledge base to be able to do those. And, and that goes into continuing education. You can't teach these higher level classes unless you can do this top of the pyramid stuff. It, it all comes from, from all of those sorts of different things. Um, my big one for a dive master that come in puffy chest is if they come in for an instructor course, all puffy chested, like they're, they are the gift to scuba. I undo a Kanban, hand it to them and tell them to thread it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> most of them have no clue how yep. to do it. So they look at me and go, yeah, oh, like, all right, so we have some things to learn. Yeah. To the yeah. 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 We have some things to learn. Don't yeah. we? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I use that one a lot. <laughs> I think one of the most valuable things that's happening right now in the dive industry you brought up earlier, which is Gareth's courses. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And the conversations that he's starting are, uh, well, starting that he's been uh, working really, really hard to bring much more into the limelight over the last, what, seven years? Five, six years, yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of all revolve pretty directly around a bunch of the things that we've been talking about, but at a, at a more groundswell level, at more of a dive team level, and then at the leadership level as well. Yeah. But it's really, it's much more of a, let's change the way that we all think about diving rather than just putting, uh, you know, the complete uh, responsibility for it on the agencies or on the instructors or, Certainly you can't put you know, too much responsibility on the divers because again, they don't know what they don't know. But if they're walking into an agency where, not, not necessarily an agency, a community where people think about these things a little more carefully and think about them a little more holistically, then you don't wind up with as much of the, like, all right, here's, here's our checklist. And as soon as you do these things, then you're safe to go and, you know, dive to 130 feet uh, with your friend who's picking his nose over there. Yeah, exactly. I put uh, I put links to the human factors class. Um, looks like it's popping up on YouTube and I think Facebook, but uh, I put them in there. Uh, human factors class and the book. The class is great. The micro class. I love the micro class. And I, I took the micro class a bunch of times and actually flew Gareth in to do a uh, class in uh, Syracuse, New York. So um, loved working with him. The, the the experiences there, I go through it and, and redo it all the time. I read the emails and um, during COVID, I took Mark Powell's decompression theory class twice. And then one of Gareth's class, the, he had a micro class that was going on that was discussion based that, and, and I spent a ton of time doing all those and loved them. They were great. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's getting into that is that, that education for the sake of education and getting back to the deep class even of saying, listen, you don't ha have to be a technical decompression diver. And I think that's the misunderstanding of what, what you were saying, Rogers. I think you're saying, yeah, you should understand ANDP. You should understand decompression theory. It'd be great if you were a technical diver, but maybe, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the theory is what we're really trying to figure mm -hmm. out. And it seemed like you were saying that earlier too. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. It was okay. actually a, a sentence I deleted from my original blog post was, <laughs> Like, I don't even care if you pass the class. Uh -huh. That's not the important thing. Like, if yep. you're not interested in doing a bunch of decompression diving, you know, the equipment's heavy, it's expensive, there's a lot of it. If that's not your game, that's cool. I don't expect you to have to do that all the time. Uh -huh. At least understand it. Now, if you're going to start taking people into decompression, if you do one deco dive a year, that is not enough. You need to be experienced. Correct. 
yeah. experience a decompression diver as you possibly can before you are expected to be responsible for other people. But if you know for a fact that you know, my career is I'm going to teach deep diver classes at the recreational level, don't give a damn about what's deeper than 130 feet. Okay. You don't need to go deeper than 130 feet. There's just more water down there. Yep. At least understand what's happening. Understand the, have a better understanding of the concepts of decompression than, you know, here's our limit and we can't go past it. And then we have to get back on the boat. Mm -hmm. That's an insufficient understanding of, you know, what's happening to everybody's bodies. So. Yeah. Brock throws a good one. Not, not to cut you no. off, Jim. But uh, the first time you true. see Deco on your computer should not be with students. He is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely right. Correct. Amen. <laughs> yes. 100 percent. Uh, Jim, your thoughts on what Roger was saying? No, I you know, I, I, I totally agree, because when I when I first started getting into technical diving, um, I about choked on the price tag and my wife had a hemorrhage. So. <laughs> Um, it's expensive and it's not for everybody and that's okay. But I, and I agree, you know, there, there, there needs to be at least the, the, the academic knowledge there behind what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to give a little plug here if that's okay. Yeah. Um, Cause Dan has some free e-learning um, on our e-learning platform, dan.diverelearning.com. It's a, you can register for free and there's a number of free e-learnings. Um, on deco theory, on diabetes and diving, on ears and diving. There are a lot of different stuff out there that the dam puts out for free to anybody in the industry. Mm -hmm. And that's a good place to start. Some of it's pretty heady because it's put on by diving physicians for other diving physicians. But it starts, you know, it, exposing people to that, having that conversation. Yeah. And it creates more. And yeah. like I was saying before, here, here's a little safe, free, little continuing education. How'd you like that? Would you like some more continuing education? Like, hopefully you do, because that'd be great. Like, let's go ahead and move up through there. So um, take this. I'll throw the link in. Dan sent me the link. So I'll put the link in the comments for you guys so you can get a hold of those. Um, yeah. I mean, I am any continuing education that we can get people in, in on is amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Well, because it opens and, doors too, doesn't it? I mean, it's yeah. the old analogy that, you know, like any one question that's answered brings up 10 more questions. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you take, you know, a Danny learning course on you know, diabetes and diving. Like your favorite dive mm -hmm. buddy is diabetic. You're curious. You start reading about it. Well, halfway through that, it starts talking about, you know, diving fitness. Well, let me learn a little bit more about diving fitness. Right. As you're working your way through diving fitness, you start talking about things like aging and diving. Like there are a lot of questions and this sort of garden of forking paths, I mean, it has no end. Mm -hmm. Correct. So yeah, as soon as you decide, I have a question that I'd like to pursue in diving, then that might lead to more interesting questions versus this theory of, I know everything about diving, I'm done now which is patently false. Right. And that is the big, that is the, one of the big issues in the industry that no standard, no regulation, no, nothing can, can get rid of is that people think there are a good number of instructors that think that they need to be God's gift to diving, to, to teach diving. And you don't, you just need to be a, a diver. You need to love the sport. You need to just go after the education and really kind of be, 
a student of your craft, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think anybody would, well, people won't tend to argue that, but apparently <laughs> they do in public still. So I'm not quite sure <laughs> it is what it is. God bless um, the internet. Yeah. Yeah. God bless the internet behind the, the keyboards. Fine. But, um, we are basically coming to a close on our time. Uh, we solved a bunch and also solved nothing at the same time as we, <laughs> it is like 39 times I have solved nothing and solved everything at the same time. And like you said, Roger, we have one show and 10 side tracks come of it and maybe we'll get down the road for different things. Um, we're going to be coming up on episode 40 pretty soon. And I don't know what to do yet, but I'm sure that I'm sure you'll post something, Roger. You meant to be completely innocent and create some sort of hornet's nest that I can work off of. So it's just a talent. Yeah, it is impressive. I will tell you this watching from the outside. I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. And Oh my God, what, what happened? So the things Jim, that I say that I always think are the most innocuous are the ones yeah. that people lose their goddamn minds about. Yeah, you got to watch, Jim. If you watch from B, you got to step back and let Roger take the heat. But you can watch; it's a good show. It's a very good show. Uh, it could it could be its own like podcast. Just let the let the po- let the comments roll through on a live feed. Um, all right. Well, uh, I will say thank you to you, gentlemen. Then I'm going to say thank you to all of our guests, and then uh, I'll come back and say good night to you guys. So uh, thank you. If there's any closing comments you guys want to make, go ahead and do them now. Jim, I'll start with you. No, just thanks for having me, Jay. It's been great, uh, a lot of fun. And Roger, I've heard a lot of really good things about you. Oh, well, that's um, both flattering and horrifying. One one of our interns is one of your students, and she speaks very, very highly of you. Oh, of course, yeah. She's, uh, yep. yeah, she actually, she left here and went basically straight up there. Yeah, straight up here. And she's she's been a delight to work with. Yeah, she, so. uh, I had the exact same experience. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Similarly, thanks so much as ever. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad you you kind of hit the ground running again. Yeah. Looking forward to lots more interesting topics. Thank you very much. All right. I'll let you guys go and then I'll come back with you guys. All right. Good evening, all. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, thank you again for uh, joining a dram of diving. Uh, as always, uh, you'll see the Patreon link uh, at the beginning in the comments, and then also our Truck Lagoon trip that's going off uh, next March. Uh, there are a few spots left for that. We're super excited uh, for that coming up. Uh, in links, you'll see the links to the to the Dan stuff, uh, and to uh, we're gonna have to get Roger to throw a link up to his uh, his humble abode down in Mexico. We'll throw a link up in there. Uh, so he's got that. And then some of the human factor stuff we discussed throughout the entire show is in, inside the Gareth Locke stuff is inside the um, the comments there. So go right ahead and take a look at those. Uh, I will put Roger's, Roger's link right here. So if you guys are looking to go down to Mexico and hang out with some cool cats, uh, go ahead and do that. Roger and Nelly are down there. But again, thank you very much. Uh, you will get a like and follow thing right here on YouTube um, over on my right hand side. So I really appreciate everything. I glad to see you guys back. We're going to try and do something big and special for our 40th. Uh, maybe not a full Shearwater giveaway, but, but something pretty good. Uh, so 40th and 50th, we'll try to make something special out of that. So again, thank you very much guys and have a wonderful night.